With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, August 25th. Before we get into breaking down all of Wednesday's action that happened across the professional tennis world, I hope all of you listeners will indulge me and allow me to give a personal birthday shout out to, in my opinion, the number one listener of our Crack Rackets podcast. Now, I've known this listener for quite a bit of time. She's been instrumental in just about everything we do here at Cracked Rackets, whether it be listening to each and every episode, offering constructive criticism, offering praise when each is called for. Of course, I'm referring to my lovely mother, Laura Gruskin, who turns 26 years old today. It's weird when you and your mom are the same age, but I guess that happens sometimes scientifically. Of course, more than anything else, I just want to say happy birthday to you, mom. You know I love you. You know I'm immensely grateful for everything that you have done. Without you, these podcasts, simply put, would not happen. And I'll say it, even if you show this to dad, you know I get my creative juices from you. You know that, again, you are the inspiration for us here at Crack Rackets to continue to perform day in, day out. I know all I have to do is wake up every morning, and that will make you proud. Nevertheless, I will continue to strive to make you proud with all of the content we produce here at Crack Rackets. And I know I speak on behalf of myself, my older brother Eric, my younger brother Nicholas, obviously our loving father Michael, when we say we love you, you are again what allows us to continue day in, day out, and do all the things we love to do. So mom, happy birthday. All of us here at Crack Rackets love you. And of course you are going to get a birthday shout out here to kick off today's mini break podcast. But with that said, plenty of tennis for us to discuss here coming off of Wednesday's action. We've got the three tour-level events happening this week. Of course, we here at Crack Racket so thrilled to be able to play a part in the 2022 Tennis in the Land WTA 250 event. I am serving as MC on center court, so if you tune into the action, you may just hear my voice on every changeover. Certainly, you will get to see me interview each of the players after the match. Of course, super producer Daniel Westoff, he's gotten the big bump. He's producing an entire WTA 250 event, and he's the best in the business, folks. Continues to prove that day in, day out. Shout out to Westoff for all that he does. Shout out to our friends at Top Notch Management for providing us this opportunity. Obviously, as I'm in person in Cleveland, that's the action I watched most closely yesterday. Probably going to spend the most time talking about those results, but we've also got a couple of other tour-level events happening across the globe. Certainly, the action in Granby, Canada has caught my attention attention as Diane Perry, a player we have been buying stock in here at the Mini Break Podcast over the course of the past year, delivered another exceptional straight set victory yesterday over Teresa Bartonsova. If you haven't watched the former World Junior number one, I will make the case on today's show of why you should be watching her moving forward. Of course, we also have an ATP event 
happening over in Winston-Salem. And as I alluded to yesterday, it feels like this Winston-Salem could be a sort of breakthrough run or a maybe a consolidating run. If Jack Draper, the 20-year-old talented young British man's breakthrough run happened in Montreal a couple of weeks ago, this may be just the consolidated run where it's like, okay, he's legit. He belongs in the ATP top 50. He's going to continue to rise up the rankings moving forward. I'll make the case for why I think that will happen moving forward on today's show. And then again, talk about all the rest of the results on the ATP and WTA Tour. Of course, I'm well aware U.S. Open qualifying happening this week. U.S. Open, the year's final Grand Slam, begins next week. We have yet to kick off our preview content for the year's final slam. That's because, of course, we've been busy here in Cleveland. Nevertheless, tomorrow, meaning Friday, August 20th, 26th matches don't start until 2 p.m. Eastern time. As such, I promise to all of you listeners, I will have some sort of preview podcast recorded for all of you tomorrow morning, whether it means talking men's, women's contenders, dark horses, Americans. We're going to do something tomorrow. I'm going to find a guest to join me as well as we prepare for the year's final slam, prepare for two thrilling weeks of action in New York. But again, today's focus, Cleveland, Granby, Winston-Salem, of course, it's going to continue to be an abbreviated podcast as we've got things to do here in Cleveland coming up in about an hour. Of course, the reason we're able to record these podcasts, though, day in, day out, even if they're not as long as they typically may be, is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Even when we're on the road, we don't want to let you down. We know there's so much tennis happening across the globe at any given moment. It's impossible to keep track of it all, particularly if you have a serious day job or you're in school or doing one of the many other things people do besides watch tennis all day. But don't worry, we'll watch the tennis for you and we'll continue to break it all down. Of course, we'll have daily recaps of every day of the U.S. Open. We're also going to have GSP Ace of the Day segments previewing each of the day's matches. I'll offer my picks for all of those matches as well. But again, a major shout out to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out. And to any new listeners we've picked up along the way, welcome to our Crack Rackets family. Of course, the other reason we're able to record these podcasts day in, day out here on the mini break feed is because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. And you all know the deal. Tennis-point.com, that promo code is CR15. You'll find all the latest and greatest products in the tennis world at the best prices. Well, all you got to do is go to their website, tennis-point.com. When you do eventually make a purchase, use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items free, two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. One other reminder, and I know I've offered this every day, but as super producer Daniel Westhoff is slightly busy producing a WTA 250 event this week, these podcasts going to continue to be minimally edited, which is not that different from what we typically do day in, day out. But if some cussing sneaks in, I do apologize for that fact. If the audio level isn't pristine, that's because, again, super producer Daniel Westhoff is extraordinarily busy, and the fact that he can even make time to publish these podcasts, a testament to his immense talent. But with that said... It's time to talk tennis, and let's start with the WTA action we saw in Cleveland. Only three singles matches on the day, as unfortunately, number two seed Martina Trevisan forced to withdraw due to injury, and I do want to clarify, that wasn't a, hey, the U.S. Open is a week, in a week, I got a match under my belt, 
I'm ready to head to New York. I'm dipping out of this tournament. No, Trevisan was nursing an injury coming into the event, and she actually warned uh, tournament administrators and everyone surrounding the event, hey, I'm going to try to play, but I'm just warning you, I am facing a couple different nagging things, and obviously with the Open coming up, I don't want to push it too far, and you can understand that decision, obviously, as the Grand Slams are the backbone of a salary for just about any top 100 professional tennis player, and I think it's, what, $80,000, $60,000, something like that. If you make and play your first-round match at the U.S. Open, I wouldn't want to sacrifice that pay check so you can completely understand that decision nevertheless Jung Shui able to advance to the quarterfinals accordingly that said the three matches we did see on the day they were all vastly different but to be honest they were all very exciting and let's start with the two players who just blew me away with their level of play two players who have been two of the 10 best players over the course of the past month and a half really since Wimbledon ended and I'm of course referring to both Bernie P Bernardo Pera and Ludmilla Samsonova and I want to start with Bernardo Pera because she's a player when we've discussed in the past it felt like she was always on the precipice of doing something special feels like how many times over the past two three four seasons was Bernardo Pera playing the best players in the world extraordinarily close but ultimately losing those matches in two three sets you think about her three set affair against Ashley Barty in the first round of Roland Garros back in 2020 21. You think about some of the other matches she's played. Belinda Bencic in Madrid. I happen to remember that 2021 match particularly well. She beat Angie Kerber last year, first round Australian Open, before losing a puzzling three-set match to Zarina Diaz in the second round. The point is, Bernie P's been in the ball game for quite a bit of time. 27 years old, she's been a top 100 player for the last three, four seasons. But we've been waiting for that breakthrough performance. We've been waiting, as we see, for so many top 50, top 25 players. And look, it doesn't happen for everyone. That's why there's only 50 top 50 players in the world at any given moment, 25 top 25 players at any given moment. There's, you know, it's really hard to be the best of the best. It's really hard to sustain success week in, week out when, as we talk about all the time here on this podcast, the parody in women's tennis, in men's tennis, in the professional game in general right now. On the right day, the 250th ranked player in the world can beat number 22. That just can happen with how good all of these athletes are, but it's undeniable now. Bernarda Pera is in the midst of that breakthrough run, and has she earned the most outstanding victories? Has she been popping top 50, top 25 players consistently? No, that hasn't necessarily been the path, but... If you win 18 of 19 matches, I don't care what level it's at, ITF, 125K, 250, 500s, if you win 18 of 19 matches, I apologize for swearing, you're fucking killing it. And that's what Bernie P is doing right now. You look for her now. She wins her 18th of her last 19 matches yesterday and honestly blitzed Barbara Krachikova 6-4-6-1 to advance to the Cleveland quarterfinal. Of course, during this stretch of time, Bernie P, who is, had fallen out of the top 100 going into Budapest at the start of July. She's knocked off. Here's just, again, the top 50, you know, sort of players, top 75 players she's beaten over the course of the past 
three weeks, four weeks, five, six weeks, whatever it may be. She goes to Budapest, comes through qualifying, beats Sasnovich in straights, beats Bondar in straights, ultimately wins the title in Budapest. And again, she had to come through qualifying to do that. The very next week, she beats Rusa. She beats Sinyakova, she beats Zinevska, and then ultimately 6-2-6-4 over Annette Conteve during that stretch of 12 victories. Again, she wins Budapest, wins Hamburg on the clay back-to-back. She did not drop a set. You win 12 straight matches without dropping a set, you're doing something right. Of course, then she goes to Concord plays the 125K, and, you know, wasn't the most rigorous draw for her. Beats Katrina Scott, Anna Blinkova, which are both good victories before ultimately getting knocked out in the final by a top 50 player when she's healthy in Coco Vandeweghe. You know, yes, Para did lose that match, but a three-set loss, and again, if that's your one loss in your past 19 matches and it's 6-3-5-7-6-4, I'm not going to hold that against you. Of course, this week in Cleveland, she beats Hazumi round number one, one and two, and then four and one yesterday against Barbara Krejcikova. First of all, she's just playing, you know, what's the Denzel Washington movie, Man on Fire? She is a woman on fire right now, and you can just oozing confidence. I don't know how else to describe it because in person watching her play – it just feels like there's nothing the lefty Bernardo Pera isn't comfortable doing right now. It's just forehand line, backhand line, forehand cross, backhand cross, setting up the plus one forehand with her serve, whether it be slice wide, whether it be that lefty jam you in the body sort of serve that as a righty you're just not accustomed to facing. It also is just the racket speed. I mean... It's so easy to compare any lefty to Rafael Nadal uh, because that's just the natural comparison you want to make. I don't think you can compare Bernardo Pera to Petra Kvitova because Kvitova just hits a flatter ball than Bernardo Pera does. There's more spin. There's more action. Of course, Bernardo Pera's grip is a little bit more extreme on that forehand side than Petra Kvitova, but she just had Barbara Krachikova feeling miserable out on court. And I want to be clear, Krachikova served very, very poorly throughout the course of yesterday's action, whether it be in the singles match against uh, Para, where, you know, again, she made what, just, I think, 51%. Yeah, 51% of her first serve. She won just 38% of her second serve points. She actually had a heavily taped, not heavily taped, but a taped up right shoulder. And that's something to certainly think about as we look towards the U.S. Open. But, you know, Barbara Krachikova is what? 12 months removed, really eight months removed from being the number two player in the world and was looking outstanding in Australia. And yeah, she's been extraordinarily banged up since then. But, you know, Krachikova is not a Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club sort of player. She is someone who wants to be a counterpuncher. She wants to absorb and redirect your pace. And, you know, again, counterpunch, turn defense into offense, make you uncomfortable with her ability to press forward. She just didn't have the opportunity to do that. Because Bernie P blitzed her from the start. And again, forehand to backhand exchanges. Bernard Pera crushed Krachikova throughout the course of the match. And just her ability to go two, two or three forehands cross court to open up her down the line forehand. Just again, her willingness to step up inside the baseline, take her backhand early on the rise, jam it down the line, you know, at a right, at a, excuse me, at a, Righty's backhand, because of course, lefty backhand, you take it down the line, you're attacking the Krachikova backhand. She just played 
extraordinary tennis. And I understand if your criticism of Para is, well, you know, you listed the names. Who are the top 50 players she's beaten? Sasinovich, you know, Rusak, sort of, Kontave, Krachikova, four top 100 wins in that 18 out of 19 stretch, uh, four top 50 wins, excuse me. Is that that impressive? Well, when 17 of your 18 wins have been in straight sets, you're damn right it's that impressive. Again, you could say, well, she's playing players she's supposed to beat. Okay, she's beating all of them. And how frequently do we say this at Cracked Rackets? That is half the battle, beating who you're supposed to beat. And I'm sorry, but just physically... And I know this is always tricky uh, to discuss, but physically, talk about an athlete in peak condition. I mean, if I were to draw up my ideal body for a tennis player, it would look like Bernarda Perez because, again, just 5'8", 5'9", you know, incredibly lean and just her ability, the movement isn't a question. The fluidity in and out of the corners isn't a question. And, yeah, when you have overwhelming pace, you can kind of jam that forehand grip because it is a bit extreme. But you better have elite pace if you want to throw Bernarda Perez off her rhythm because, again, she is just in rhythm right now, hitting all of her spots on serve, hitting, you know, all six corners, all six spots, as I like to say, which is T-serves on the add-and-do side, out wide on the add-and-do side, and can you jam an opponent's body as well? And she is doing all of those things extraordinarily well. You guys know I always like to make fun of people who say people don't talk enough about on Twitter because it's like, what is the approximation? What is the barometer for talking enough about something? But maybe we're not talking enough about Bernarda Pera, who, again, has won 18 of 19 matches now. And you look for her, she came into the week ranked number 51, which is two off her career high. But now by making the quarterfinals, she's up to number 45, which is a career high ranking for her in the live rankings. And again, it just means she's going to get to play everything she wants down the home stretch of this season. She's got a comfortable stash of points built up to build on at the start of 2023 as well, where she's not going to have to play Indian Wells qualifying, not going to have to play Miami qualifying. She's going to get into whatever she wants to play over the next nine months. And again, 27 years old, you're supposed to be at the peak of your powers. Watch Bernardo Pera play for three minutes. You just see someone who's swinging so freely. And again, Krachikova did not play well. Krachikova did not have the e- was because she just couldn't make a first serve. She couldn't do anything easy. Again, you know there was no plus one attacking. There was no easy in rhythm balls for Krachikova. I mean, there were pockets of them, sure, when she made some first serves, but she did not play well. And Bernie P took advantage of that. And again, with the parity we see in women's tennis, taking advantage of an opponent who is not playing well. That is half the battle. So a massive, massive victory uh, for Bernarda Pera, who has just looked exceptional. Uh, no doubt about that. And, you know, again, 18 out of 19 into the quarterfinals. There's a reason she's at a career high in the rankings. But that's enough on Bernie P. Let's move over now to Ludmilla Samsonova. And I want to talk as quickly about Samsonova as she annihilated Laura Sigmund uh, yesterday. It was a 6-2, 6-1 affair, and really the only controversy throughout the course of the match was Sigmund getting angry at some of the automated line calling. And by the way, it's hilarious how for years we've talked about, well, we want technology to be able to supplement 
the eyes of a line judge, right? Because more than anything else, we just want to get the call right. We don't want missed calls and missed opportunities like that to be the deciding factor in a match. Well, I'm telling you folks, the plot of Terminator 7 is going to be tennis player versus Hawkeye because the automated line calling was probably the biggest thorn in the side of just about every player throughout the course of yesterday's action in Cleveland. Other than that, though, I mean, Ludmilla Samsonova dusted Laura Siegemund yesterday. 6-2-6-1 victory, and I think the scariest part for the rest of the WTA Tour is Ludmilla Samsonova served like crap yesterday. She only made 54% of her first serves, and yet she only faced one break point, which she fought off. She won 86% of her first serve points, two-thirds of her second serve points, and then she was just swinging so freely on the return of serve. And let's keep in mind now, you look for Ludmilla Samsonova, who won the 2022 City Open title. She's now won seven consecutive hard court matches. And if you want to say, well, you know, who has she beaten? Well, in Washington, she beat Kanepi, Radakanu, Tamjanovic, and Mertens. And yes, here in Cleveland, it's definitely been a softer draw in Laura Siegemund, who's primarily played an ITF schedule this year, as well as Irina Shimanovic, who was playing her WTA main draw debut you match against Samsonova, but again, two players who she should beat, and she drops just four games against each of them, the power tennis she can play is just overwhelming. Forehand wing, backhand wing, you blink and you're going to miss it. And again, you got to win a Grand Slam to become a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Wow, I am really beating that analogy to death. I apologize, listeners. I'll try not to do that so much, but I don't know how else to describe that degree of power tennis because I think all of you listeners know what I'm referring to when I say that. You know it when you see it, and with Samsonova, you just know it when you see it. Again, hits through the backhand, the forehand so easily, so fluidly, and just, I I mean, it's a 6-2-6-1 match. There's not much analysis for me to do. She crushed her, and Siegemund just did not have the weapons to throw Samsonova off course. And Samsonova, who's about 5'11", moves so fluidly. Another player just like entirely lean muscle and just the ideal tennis body in the 2020s. Now you want a little bit of size so that you can impose your will, but also, you know, that size when that size doesn't compromise your fluidity as a mover, now you know you've made it. Of course, for Samsonova, finding that three-quarters ball, finding that defensive shot as opposed to trying to swing through every problem, that's going to define her upside moving forward. But again, the power she can generate on the forehand, it's just such an easy ball. And then when she drives through that backhand, it's lights out. She just had Siegemund on a string and, you know, talking to her after the match in the post-match interview, she said, you know, I did not serve well, but if I'm going to return this well, I'm probably going to win a lot of matches. And I'm paraphrasing what she said, but that was the sentiment of her statement. And it's impossible to disagree. If Ludmilla Samsonova is going to continue to swing this well, she is a dark horse to win the U.S. Open. Like, just straight up. And because, again, she plays the sort of disruptive power tennis. I think for Bernarda Pera, I do think there's more of a weak... Because, again, for Bernie P, if you have that overwhelming weapon, you can definitely get that ball into her forehand, which is a little bit more of a Western grip. It's a bigger backswing with less time. She's just not able to swing through it as fluidly. 
that's not the case for Ludmilla Samsonova. Certainly, you want to get her stretched, but you look for Samsonova, who's holding serve 77.6% of the time. That number's fourth amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour right now. And again, she currently ranks, I think it's 48th amongst top 50 players in break percentage, but... If you've watched these last two matches, and Siegelman's got a little pop on her serve. Shaimanovich, we can throw that match out. But just, Samsonova was hitting the return of serve like a grapefruit. And I'm sorry, but, like, again, I think Bernie P is going to beat everyone who's worse than her. So it just depends where she falls in the draw. Samsonova can beat anyone. Because, again, that brand of power tennis is just disruptive. And she's cruised to the quarterfinals here. You drop four games in two matches, you have our attention. So Bernie P, Ludmilla Samsonova, unequivocally, two performers of the day. Gotta give a shout-out to Madison Brangle, who epitomizes death by a thousand paper cuts. She gets her steps in, folks, and, I mean, she must have covered at least four miles of court yesterday and, and ultimately come from behind three-set victory over Ekaterina Alexandrova. Look, Alexandrova served for the match twice, up 5-4 in the second, up 5-4 in the third, Brangle just made her work, 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 work. And the forehand slice is grimy. I mean, the 80-mile-per-hour serves, they're attackable, and there were times when Ekaterina Alexandrova was treating that serve like an approach shot. But Madison Brangle's a freaking fighter. And if you can't respect the effort she gives, point in, point out, because she's not the furthest thing from a power tennis player. She is, you know, a hustler through and through, and, you know, again, did ECAT choke? Certainly. She did not play her best tennis. She was immensely frustrated, not only with some of the line calls that were made, but just frustrated that for some reason the errors continued to pile up, and she could not put Brangle away, but you want to know who earns the grid award of Wednesday's matches? Without a doubt, it's Madison Brangle who advances to her first tour-level quarterfinal, but I believe fourth quarterfinal overall on the season, and you look at today's matches in Cleveland, Buckle up, folks. It's going to be a fun day. You've got the nightcap, which I'm most excited for. Bernie P taking on Sonia Kennan. That match, mwah, delightful. Magdalena going to take on Ludmilla Samsonova. Alexandra Sasnovich going to take on Madison Brangle. That's a fun contrast of styles. And then Alize Cornet going to take on Jung Shui. According to Tennis Abstract, it goes Ludmilla Samsonova, 25.1% chance of winning. Then Sasnovich, followed by Jung Shui and Magdalena. That was your action yesterday in Cleveland. Of course, you look over in Granby. Pretty steady day of matches, and I talked yesterday quite a bit about Marta Kostyuk, Daria Kasatkina, who both earned victories yesterday for Kasatkina, 3-2 and two, over Magdalena Freak. A nice follow-up after it took her three sets to get through Hreet Minen in round one, and I think for Kasatkina, after losing first round in Canada... In Cincinnati, of course, she won the San Jose title the week before Canada, but having come into Granby with two consecutive losses to get two victories under her belt, regardless of what happened, she just has her confidence back, and that's all a top 10 player in the world really needs going into the U.S. Open. And again, Kasakina probably epitomizes the, well, you better be better than me. You better do something elite if you want to beat me mentality. And, you know, look, she's taking on a Nuria Parises-Diaz, who's certainly going to grind with her. But, man, that match has Kasatkina written all over it. For Marta Kostyuk, impressive three-set victory, where she came out slow, but ultimately gets a win over Maria Stakusic, uh, the qualifier. And, look, Kostyuk's combination of athleticism, power, 
I don't, you know, again, I don't think she knows what she's going to do by on a point-by-point point basis. I think she can do B, C, and D extraordinarily well, but what is plan A for the 20-year-old Ukrainian who has all the talent in the world? That's the question. Over the course of the next decade, it's going to be a fun question to watch answered, certainly. But the player I'm all in on right now is Diane Perry, who earns a 6-3-7-6 victory over Teresa Martinsova, of course, for Perry, third round uh, this year at Wimbledon. She beat uh, Kaya Kanepi, Mai Hantama, before getting knocked out by Own Shabur. Of course, she made third round Roland Garros as well, beating Krachikova, Kami Osorio, before getting knocked out by Sloan Stevens. Diane Perry's now a top 75 player in the world. And of course, the 20, uh, soon to turn 20 year old, former world junior number one. The comparison I would make is Justine Ennin 0.85. I like the Perry forehand, the weapon, you know, again, athleticism wise, movement wise, fluidity wise. I think there's a lot of comps to Justine Ennin. I think forehand wise, that's the side both players obviously do all of their damage with. It's a heavy topspin based forehand, which, you know, inside in, inside out, and she loves to hit that inside out forehand. It can be an elite combination starter. The ba- why I say 85% of Ennin, the backhand's not where it needs to be. Uh, obviously, you know, she's comfortable playing the slice. She's comfortable moving forward and volleying, but driving through that ball, hitting that ball on the return of serve, particularly against the servers like the Sabalankas and Isamovas of the world, dare I say, the power tennis player still needs to be worked on, but... No, I'm immensely impressed by Diane Perry, who, again, three and six, she absorbed the first strike of Teresa Martinsova. Anytime she got a look at a second serve, she capitalized on it, and you look for her from a return perspective. She converted six of eight breakpoint chances. She won 56% of the return points against a Martinsova, who, you know, her her serve, her ability to play plus one tennis. That's the staple of the veteran Martin Sofa's game. And Perry just took that away from her. And then again, played an extraordinary tiebreak to take it seven, uh, seven, one and close out the match three and six. It's a really fun set of quarterfinals in Grampy. Kasakina versus Parisa's Diaz. Tatiana Maria versus Diane Perry. God willing, we'll get a Kasakina Perry matchup. And then, as I mentioned yesterday, I want to see Kostyuk versus Wang Shiyu. Well, we're one step closer to that as Kostyuk going to take on Rebecca Marino as Marino. Or it's a three-set victory over number three seed Jasmine Paolini. Marino's played some good ball this year. And, of course, her ability to play, hold the baseline and dictate, uh, always impressive on these hard courts. And then Wang Shiyu, the talented lefty Chinese woman, young Chinese woman, going to take on Daria Seville. It's a fun contrast of styles uh, in our quarterfinal matches. And of course, according to Tennis Abstract, Daria Kasatkina, 57.1% favorite to win the event. I think that is self-explanatory, getting, given the delta in ranking between her and everyone else in the field. But that's your action over in Granby and on the women's side to quickly go through the men's side as well. And as I alluded to, I apologize for A, the speed at which I'm talking in this podcast, but B, the lack of perhaps depth, stats, the usual things you are accustomed to on this show. We'll get back to doing all of that as soon as we're done with the action here in Cleveland. Actually, as soon as tomorrow, as I'm going to have a morning to just relax and, you know, again, record podcasts, which I suppose is what I do when I'm relaxing. It's it's a good venting system for me, but let's start with Jack Draper, the 13 seed, one and four victory over Dominic Team. He crushed him, and I mean, he went up 2-0 immediately in that match. It felt like Team might get bageled again in a first set, but you look for Jack Draper, you know, he's into the top 50 now of the live rankings for the first time in his career. 20 years old, the lefties, 40-12, and 40-12. and 12. This season, I don't care if the majority of it's been at the challenger level. If you're 40 and 12, 
you're doing something fucking right. And for Jack Draper, and I've said this before, the lefty, obviously, his ability to hit that slice serve out wide on the ad side, the plus one forehand, it's special. And, you know, it's funny. Everyone's getting so excited about Ben Shelton, another lefty who can do exactly that. But let's not – we got two young, talented lefties who are both damn good at that slice serve out wide, first court, uh, first forehand to the open court combinations. I mean, J- Draper, though, the difference is the backhand. Just again, yes, the forehand is the moneymaker, but for Jack Draper, the backhand is just opponents think, okay, that's the side I need to attack. The moment you do that, you've made a mistake. And for Draper, you know, in set number two, how does he ultimately secure the break point? Team hits a uh, serve into the backhand. Draper's able to guide that ball into the center of the court. Dominic Team then approaches to the forehand, uh, to the backhand wing. What does Draper do? He passes him down the line. And I just think the fluidity of Draper, who's about 6'3, 6'4, but the fluidity in and out of his corners, his ability to drive that backhand with pace, with depth, with action on the ball. There's just not a glaring weakness in Draper's game, of course. That big serve, that big forehand is the foundation for his success, and he does such a good job moving in behind that ball. But again, you look for him in the match, didn't face a break point, and part of that was just team struggled on the return of serve, no doubt. I mean, Draper only made 55% of his first serves and yet won 85% of his first serve points, 71% of his second serve points. Just did not face much stress in his one-in-four victory. And certainly for Dominic Team, the backhand return right now on this faster surface is a struggle because he's just kind of floating that ball in the center of the court. And again, on a hard court, these big, you know, these players are going to have their feet under them. They're going to make you pay. But again, that win had everything to do with Draper, even if team didn't play his best. And according to Tennis Abstract, again, with Draper being 40-12, and 12, making now another quarterfinal at the ATP level, I believe it's his third or fourth of the season, he's a 28.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, to win the event above number two seed Botik van de above number four seed Maxime Cressy, who is awfully impressive and just relentless in a three-set victory over Lorenzo Sonego. Um, I mean, again, it's a fun set of quarterfinals. Manorino versus Cressy. Two of the grinders, two of the guys who have just made the biggest jump on the ATP Challenger Tour and have brought that consistency to the ATP Tour in a Benjamin Bonzi, Botik Vandesenskulp matchup. That's a really fun one. Two guys who, again, just rock solid across the board. Laszlo Jura, uh, Jura going to take on Richard Gasquet. Gasquet, three-set victory over Stevie J. Shout out to you. Uh, Richard Gasquet for just, again, sticking around, and all of his peers have really retired over the course of the past year, and yet you look for Gasquet, he's still holding strong, Number top 100, he's number 90 right now in the rankings, and that means he's able to play the slams, play the big events, continue to put some money in his pocket as he rounds out his career, but then, really excited for that top quarterfinal, as it's going to be Draper taking on another big lefty, Marc-Andre Hussler, who just was on fire on serve, and was too good in the breakers, the big lefty, 7-6, 3-6, 7-6 victory over Ilya Ivashka. He's going to serve in volley. He's going to play big. He's a little bit more one-dimensional than Draper, but who doesn't like a good lefty-on-lefty matchup? And again, I know I went through Winston-Salem pretty quickly there. I promise I'm going to expand on my thoughts more there on tomorrow's podcast. But with that said, 
Time to rock and roll at another day here at Tennis in the Land. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff for the heck of a job he does day in, day out, editing all of these podcasts. Shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.